0: everybody. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom, with me again is Bruce. Hey, Tom. Nice hat. What? What's with that high hat? Yeah. Yeah, so we're uh, in the middle of our Cohen Brothers uh, uh, mini-series, and today we're doing a movie that's my personal favorite Cohen Brothers movie, and Bruce just saw it, but he definitely was impressed. We're talking about from 1990, Miller's Crossing. Yeah, uh, thank you. It's one of those films
1: that I kind of missed somehow at the time, and it's not one that is on a lot of services. Like, it's not necessarily always around about, and I just hadn't hadn't picked it back. I, I, I literally had a blind spot for it.
0: Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's... I would call this the uh, lost classic of the Coen brothers, even though they had... You know, it was... You know, it got a lot of acclaim when it came out, but it came out in between... Um, Goodfellas and Godfather Three. It was kind of one of those years where too many good mobster movies. So, and I would call this on par with um, Goodfellas is one of the best like mobster movies. But this is more than just a you know a mobster film because it's way more complex. Yeah. No. There's there's a lot going
1: on with this film.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, backstory: the Coen brothers had made Raisin Arizona, and they started working on on this on the screenplay for this. They famously got a bad writer's block halfway into it and stopped working on it and wrote the movie Barton Fink. And then came – once they got that knocked out in a couple weeks, they were able to figure out how to finish this film or make it work the way they're wanting to. And for it to – if if you haven't seen Miller's Crossing, stop this podcast right now, watch it, and then come back because – this is such a complicated film that's impossible to talk about without spoiling some major details.
1: Although I am surprised that they had like no idea how to end it. I mean, to a certain extent, because it's, it's very much Yojimbo. I mean, there is, a, it isn't as uh, much as the Bruce willis one was, but it, it definitely has shades of Yojimbo and has like a lot of that. It's got a certain amount of Kurosawa in it, you know, a lot of things and things and, And I therefore find it odd that, that, like, to me, this isn't a film that I had any doubt how it would end. Like, there was no, there was a possibility that Tom gets killed in my mind, but I didn't really give it much credit. He was going to win. Oh, absolutely. It was just just a question of whether or not he also killed Verna and Leo.
0: Well, it's interesting because in the end, he doesn't want to. You know, he's still loyal to Leo to the very end. Just Leo has no idea what he's doing. But at the same time, as he's also working two angles. One angle is he wants to make sure all of his debts are settled because he doesn't want to owe anybody. So the gambling debts is his real end game has always been to get get money with no strings attached so he can pay off his his gambling debts, also just to walk away. You can tell he's just like, I'm done with this. It's not that he has a problem with it. He's just tired of no one listening to him, which is really what the problem is. is If Leah listens in the beginning, there's not a problem. If Casper listens to him, there's not a problem. Nobody wants to listen to him. And I think that's why he's like, all right, I'm going to play my own game and get basically everything fixed, and then I'm out of here. And that's really what his goal is all along, is just to make sure that when he's done – he can walk away with any no one after him.
1: I'm not sure that's his goal all the way through. I, I think his last remarks to Leo, where he says, "Do you always know why you do everything?" is kind of, I'm paraphrasing there, but uh, the line is much better.
0: Uh, but that's I, I think there's an admission there that he's winging it to a certain extent. Well, I, I will say the best example of him winging it is when he's in that room where you know he thinks he's about to get jumped by the big mobster guy, and you. He swings the chair at him, and the guy's like, Jesus, Tom. And then the little guy comes and beats the tar out of him. And he says, and like, huh. He's like, I missed – and you can tell right then he's like, did not factor that one in.
1: No, he did and, not judge that rightly.
0: No, and that's um, that's like – it's it's on rare occasions he's off. And almost everything else, he, you can tell he's, pl- well, he's figured out pretty quickly. What I
1: don't think he knew that there was another corpse out there. I think he was just
0: playing it tight. I think he knew that Bernie's not going you know Bernie would make sure if people thought would thought he was dead he would go and I think Bernie he knows Bernie doesn't care about mink. I think that was the other thing like he right. makes sure that uh, And that's one thing we should talk about Bernie is such a complicatedly nasty character but he's not even he's not even who's more nastier? Eddie Dane, Casper. I mean it's a, it's a case where they're all of some kind of level of despicable but Bernie's the one who He's basically, he knows how despicable he is, and he's loving it.
1: Yeah, no, he's definitely a, a self-aware as a villain and a cretan, but uh, it, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 like, who is the worst character is an interesting question. I don't think it's the Dane. Uh, the Dane was actually pretty straightforward if, um, you know, a brutal and uh, violent man. Uh, he, he didn't, uh, but he, he did a little bit. He wanted to double cross. I don't know. It's interesting. No, nobody in this is particularly good. So let's no, we'll go, we'll exactly. go with that. Maybe exactly. that bartender, that's, that's the, the bartender was nice.
0: Yeah. Everybody, I mean, he's probably a little, it's a, it's an entirely gray cast. Like every, there is no white hat in this film. Mm-hmm. And I, I love, I love that detail. And, um, I think something else we should point out is that you know as we see these pieces being you know as you watch it and i've watched this movie many times i see the pieces he's moving carefully it's but it's also very subtle you know sometimes pieces move a little ahead of him so he he yeah
1: i've lost you there is it me i wonder it's not
0: hold on uh do you mind Van for a second
1: not at all uh so yeah um my thoughts are it's interesting about whether or not and i i'll need more viewings but he clearly is being risky as all hell i mean it's definitely a situation where any of this doesn't land exactly how he needs it to and he's dead And so it's a question in my mind, uh, whether or not that's really planning or a little bit of luck. And I think that's what that last line to Leo is at the end, is this a little bit of luck on my part. Uh, do I always know exactly what I'm doing? Um, I think that actually is a meaningful line in that context, but I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it again a little more closely. Now that I know the angles that are played, you can watch them set it up. It's sort of like uh, looking back at the beginning of a shot in pool, and you're not always sure what they're queuing up on until you see the shot executed. But that's that's my take on it. Um, I definitely think that uh, this is a film. So let me back up. There is my ratings of films. Um, And here's how we work. Did what can I see what they were trying to do? Yes. Uh, Did they do it? Yes. Is this film a glorious success in pretty much any way they could have imagined? I can't see how they didn't think so, although I don't think it made a lot of money, which is a shame, uh, even though it did get uh, some awards. So, it's one of those things where I think this film might just not have had the audience for it, but I think it's you know clearly it was done uh, very perfectly well. The acting is amazing. Gabriel Byrne is fantastic. Um, everybody's fantastic. So exactly this film it's shooting for its mark. It hits the mark. um, and then the question is, this is definitely a film that you can then go and read and see if you can figure out what's going on with different things.
0: And I think that's why I've watched it and constantly just look at how Tom is acting. Cause I think Tom's, he basically kind of has a couple of looks. It's like a tell in poker. And when he's got to control the room, he's never looking anyone in the eye. Mm-hmm. When he's trying to figure out what's going on, that's when he's looking at people.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. No, the first scene with him behind Leo, he's not paying attention to anybody. He's just sort of there, but then he yeah. picks up his head.
0: Yeah, I, I see you there. I he's to... listening, but he's not he doesn't care their reactions.
1: Right. But um yeah, so th- so uh, to give people the, the the broad brush strokes of this, if they're not already super familiar, but they hopefully took your warning to heart. Like uh, there are this is in genre of noir, but not really. Uh, it bends it around a little bit because usually your leading man in noir gets a little bit played as a sucker by the femme fatale, and there this fakes toward that, but she's never in control of any of it. No, Even at the very end when she does something that is in serious slap in the face and maybe could have been not foreseen, it is quite obvious at that point that Tom gives no shits.
0: Go back, go back. Oops. Oh, I'm sorry, you're there? I'm here. Sorry, I was getting a little interference for a second. No, That's um... Okay. So, I, I, you know, for me, it's a... It becomes more and more of a con game, and mm-hmm. she's running run grift, and he and Tom and Bernie are each running their own grift, but Tom's grift is using them specifically, right? And I, I think you know, in the case of Verna, you know, she's trying to basically protect herself and Bernie. Bernie doesn't care what she does, and I think that's the uh, thing that's kind of complicated. You, there's almost I would argue there's a slight incestuous kind of relationship between the two of them, but they don't really go for there but the way he talks about her is not healthy no
1: so it's, it's. but th- are they ever on screen together? I don't think they are
0: no, they're not, but then that's the other that's the other interesting factor she's basically reacting to what and I get the vibe most of what she's finding out is what mink is telling her before mink gets killed Mm-hmm. And that's another interesting. I love the fact that we have ser- we have basically two. I wouldn't even call it closet char- uh, homosexual characters in this film, but they're not played in bad stereotypes. And you have Bernie, who, for lack of better, is probably just the is hustling everybody,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he doesn't really play a specific ter- stereotype other than he's just a uh, scam, you know, nasty person. I, right. I give huge credit to John Turturro for how he his look, the way he kind of, his affectations, everything about him is very more like a, you know, M. It's very Fritz Lang esque character than it is like say a mobster character. So you know, I could see Peter Lorre playing this character.
1: Right. I did love um, Bernie's last few lines of, but, but why he didn't understand. Uh, because look, it, look,
0: look it, in your heart, you know the, the stutter is—you can tell it's fake.
1: Well, it, it isn't the look in your heart that—that that was him like making a belated play. It was the questioning before then. But like, I don't understand. You said it yourself. We're square. Uh, he actually thinks that way. Like, he, to him, it was just never personal and not, you know. It, 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 I, I think he was surprised
0: at that. At that, otherwise, why would he have handed the gun over? He—he I- he, he should never have been surprised. Well, and that's the thing, is like he he doesn't understand how that you know, what Tom's game is. He's lost where he's lost what Tom's actually after, which is in the end Tom just wants Bernie dead too. But he also, you know, wants to make sure that if he's dead, it's a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, he almost loses it to him because you know, he his game his game requires Casper to kill Eddie Dane. And, you know, if it doesn't go the way he needs you know he's dead, it's a real risk. The fact that Casper just flips on the dime on, on Eddie shows Tom figured out where Ed, you know Casper's alliances is, also,
1: right? You know, he, he, he won that one, but that was a
0: near thing, it might not have gone his way, yeah. absolutely. By the way, you'll get a kick out of this, uh, Bruce. I guess uh, now, um, the originally Peter Stormare was supposed to play at the Dane, but they were called the Swede.
1: Yeah, I heard, and the reason he's the Dane is uh, Stormare uh, took was playing Hamlet at the time, who is the the Dane. Yeah, uh, so that that I think is amusing. I, uh, I would
0: have I mean, if uh, Peter Stormare had gotten that part, it would have been yeah. far more frightening, I think.
1: And did you note at the end uh, that the building he lives in is the Barton Arms? Uh, yes, a little
0: bit of a little Barton Fink in there. Yes, yeah, because they'd already written Barton Fink before they uh, finished, and his- I.
1: I almost – the set where the original like uh, fish, fresh fish thing, fishmonger, Barton Fink cry looks a lot like the set of of that area. So that was also amusing.
0: I I take it that it's like different – it's the same universe but a few years later because they make reference to – in some of the newspapers that the – about a fire to a hotel and that happens in Barton Fink. Now that should be uh, five years in the future. But the point being is like we're with the Coen brothers, time, you know, time doesn't really matter. Right? Like, you know, like how long is this movie supposed to be taking place over the course of uh, a week, two weeks, a month, uh, six months? You know, a lot is happening quickly or it's happening very slowly. It's just the way we're seeing it. Right. Right. No, absolutely. I, I
1: mean, it's it definitely all in good sequence, though. It's a nice ser- straight line narrative, but it's it's not clear exactly how much time is going by each time but oh, we're getting a lot of wind
0: there, but uh, yeah, what getting a lot of wind in the mic. That's weird. I'm, I'm inside. huh? Okay. Might've been breathing then. Oh yeah. Sorry. I've, uh, my allergies have been killing me this last couple days. So just letting you know, so you can Thanks. catch the sound Thanks. anyway, but, um, yeah. So everything about this film is,
1: is, is just really nice. Um, you know, it looks great. It just looks great um it's acted beautifully by every principal and even the small ones even weird little surreal bits because it's a Cohen movie there have to be surreal bits uh and humor and uh which is hard to find room for the humor in this one it is hard to find room for the humor but the humor is the cops show up and and tom just walks out and he goes and talks to the cops about it and, and it's like it's they're just having a little conversation at the bar Uh, about the state of affairs and i loved those asides especially when you know there'd be gunfire that breaks out in the middle of one of them Uh, um it it was very workmanlike and
0: you know colleagues having having a you know at the water
1: yeah tom is friends with everybody
0: that's the key everybody loves tom Mm -hmm. and i you know it's why the it's really why even the bookies haven't really been going after him because he's just too light it's like even the guys he owes money to don't want to hurt him. It's fascinating. He's you know, and you can tell there's a whole backstory about him. We'll never know, but you know, it's better we don't know because the less we know about Tom the better, because it's such a special character. You know, we know that he's Irish. That's basically it, and that he's very smart. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, we don't know uh, the other sides of him he's a well, bad guy. That's for basically wh- his only other flaw.
1: He he's been with Leo for a while and they got out of a number of tough scrapes together.
0: Uh, speaking of Leo, Albert Finney, fantastic as Leo. Like, his sequence with the uh, the uh, attempted hit on him is just operatic perfect. I, I just love how it's edited, how it's shot. It's, it's ridiculously
1: keeps... implausible, but it's glorious
0: nonetheless. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very <laughs> raimi s when it comes to the uh, gunshots. Because that uh, is like, how many bolts is in that Tommy gun?
1: All of them. Yeah, All of the like, bullets.
0: Unlimited. I mean, they try—I mean, he kills—the one guy, he just keeps popping full of lead, and then when the car's are coming after him, he just keeps shooting and shooting and shooting. Somehow, magic takes them all out. I mean, it's, it's funny when you see the car suddenly, you realize, oh, the driver's dead. It's such a—it's it very random, but that's very much in a Coen Brothers bit. Now, I give credit also to Barry Sonnenfeld. He, this was his last film as their cinematographer. He, you know, he'd know done Blood Simple, and he'd done Raising in Arizona— and this was his last with them, and you can just see the quality of his uh, cinematography. You know, in between, you know, raising Arizona and this one, he'd done when Harry met Sally, he'd done Bigs, he'd worked more in like natural lighting, and I think the, this film really benefits for that. It was his idea for everything to be gray at Miller's Crossing.
1: Right. No, it, it's 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 really nicely done. It gives the impression of being black and white without being black and white.
0: Exactly. It's it, it feels old Hollywood, but it's not.
1: Right. It's, it's, it's a really well, uh, it's it's a good visual. The whole thing is of a piece. It is it is not black and white, but it is. And there's some throwouts to that. Uh, like Mink's dialogue is glorious 1940s fast talk dialogue. Uh, it, I was afraid there'd be too much of that because he was good enough, you know, presumably he's good enough to not follow him. Uh, but <laughs> that was the only bit of that really
0: yeah and they barely use mink's such a small character, but you know when you find out how important he is it's it's interesting i mean he's the real problem it's not Bernie is using mink as well, but mink, you know mink's actually the real league that's the but Eddie's in love with him and he doesn't he doesn't seem to accept that and, you know they carefully dance around that it. it's eddie's you know obsession with mink is the reason that they want to kill Bernie right. And Bernie has figured out how to use uh, Eddie, I mean, you, Mink, as well. And it's, it's such a unique way of them writing it. It's like they don't once make any issues about them being gay. It's aside from, you know, Casper makes one line, but he's like, I didn't care. He's like, he did. And, uh, you know, I give credit also to the actor, John Polito, who played Casper, very openly gay actor. He plays, you know, he shows a very special way of handling it. And I, I give him also credit for handling the way his character acts. Mm-hmm. You know, not many, t- you know, there's so many things like his son, he's seen with the son. <laughs> he's like, pick the pick the hand. And the son's clearly, you know, a moron. And he's like, give her, give him a penny. It's like, well, you owe him a penny. It's like those little details you can tell, like, uh, you know, he cares about his son, but he's clearly like, OK, this son, he better not be in charge. No, but
1: it, it's that it's that cares about them, sort of, but not really, because exactly. the, the son finally annoys him was also
0: interesting. Yeah. And, you know, He's like, smacks him. ah <laughs> You know, and, and that like the scene with the boxer, with the uh, you know, when the boxer screaming, oh, 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 it's like that's that like Coen Brothers, you know, tra- trademark. They always have one guy screaming, you know, just like John Goodman in mo- quite a few of the movies. There's always they love having a huge guy scream because I think it's so frightening and bizarre because usually the character is panicking and you're like, right. this giant is scared. So what the heck's going on?
1: No, uh, it, it's their movie. Although I would say it's one of the least wacky Cohen movies. Oh, agreed. Uh, there is a little bit of wacky. There is, you know, that the 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 infinite machine gun. Uh, there is uh, definitely some wackiness um, around the edges of how the cops burst in on everything. Like the 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 set pieces of the raids are are like uh, they're having fun. They're just having fun with those
0: raids. Yeah, it's a classic Hollywood throwback.
1: Mm -hmm. But they're also killing people. So it's, it's one of those things where the raid, if you were in a screwball 40s comedy, that, you know, prohibition raid would have just been the straight scene, except there wouldn't be shot up people, um, which is what makes it interesting. So there's a throw, it's, it's, it's genre bending in a way that could easily not have worked. You know what I'm saying? That could easily not have been funny. Uh, or undermine the seriousness uh but the the, the, you know whipsawing back and forth between something you laugh at and something that horrifies you it's great when you do it right but it can be very
0: hard and i give incredible credit to how careful the editing is on this film Mm -hmm. everything is so perfectly timed you know so when those wow weird gags happen it's the, like it's like a perfect needle drop like it hits exactly the way it should be and there's no ex there's no explanation there's no extra you know there's no fat in any of the scenes like I can't find a single thing i would cut
1: no no it, it, it's all very clear and crisp um the dialogue is great uh no i i honestly can't uh i, I can't find anything that i know enough to know the, to to find fault with it i'm sure there is but i'm sure i don't have the uh, skill to find it
0: and, and, you know, but that's the point. It's like, when you get a movie where, you know, you can always find something, you're like, well, this scene wasn't necessary. No, all these scenes pretty much work, Because and as you watch it, you see what's going on. It's like, the more you watch it, the more you start to, like I said, the more you see Tom's reactions, You see the way everybody else is reacting to Tom. You can see, like, when they, who trusts them at certain times, who doesn't. Eddie Dane's the only one you can tell. Never trust Tom. once Tom out of the way, and you realize, because... He's basically, he's the same, just like um, Tom, but nowhere near as beloved or influential. Right. And Eddie Dane's far more menacing. And Tom doesn't show any kind of menace, but Eddie Dane knows that there's a dark side. He's like, he's just like me. He's going to kill me at some point. And, you know, Tom orchestrates his death. Mm -hmm. But
1: I think the interesting thing about Tom is that there is... Uh, honor is a hard word to stretch to
0: here. No, no, I wouldn't use honor, but there's a code.
1: There's something in there. And the, the something in there is that he could, at any point, just bail. Like, he could absolutely, and when Leo throws him out, he didn't have to go to Caspar. He could have just left. He could have just left. But one, he would not have settled that debt, and that was that's a thing. Even though it's a debt he's acquiring by losing uh, and and you know betting foolish uh he, he he owns the debt and that that won't do he won't say so he won't he wouldn't lamb out on the debt he wouldn't let anyone else settle his debt uh which is an interesting weird point of pride that uh, i don't know the only thing i think odd is that leo doesn't seem to understand that when you think that through their long association they might
0: have um well it's a that... control thing though i mean that's the point like Leo knows. Uh, Leo also uh, has to assume. Well, if I pay his debts, uh, he'll stay. He'll stay with me as long as I need him. And because right. and Leo's like, uh, he'll just keep losing money. I'll pay his debts, and he'll stick with me. It's and you know Tom knows it's a it's a vicious cycle because he knows he's a bad gambler. He's probably got a bad gambling problem. He doesn't want to be in a constantly having to have Leo bail him out because that means he's going to have to always bail Leo out whenever Leo screws up.
1: Right. So. Uh... That's interesting. But but and then there's something more to it. Like not only does he at the end of the day sew up all of these problems for Leo with a bow, um, but he does he doesn't
0: do it for Verna. He doesn't do it for Leo. He does it for himself. Exactly. Because he knows that's his end game. It's like it's this is like, okay, I've completed everything I need to do. Right, I can, yeah, but it's
1: it's the degree to which he couldn't his pride. That's what it is. It's pride. His pride wouldn't stand for allowing any of that to slip without him answering it. If he if he doesn't answer it, then then he can't look at himself. Or it isn't that he can't look at himself because he wouldn't think of it that way. He can't stand the affront of it, the insult.
0: Yeah, and there's also it could be just. The the uh, thrill of winning, you know. There he's a gambler, and this is a giant bet he's taking that he can get all this to work. So right. th- there is that all, all, all side that he's addicted to the risk. But it's the same time as like he once he's got this done, he knows that all of his major all of his problems are basically solved. And you know, for all we know, he could be leaving the country. He could be going back to Ireland, where he or he could be going to a whole other part of the country and start this whole thing over it's it's a very interesting character and you know it it
1: almost doesn't matter he he didn't i don't i don't i wouldn't so maybe i'm reading too much of uh some of the characters i've uh written so to speak over the years that you're aware of one of the reasons you wanted me to to run this but in the in the head of the character that i that i once put down uh i would have seen him as very tom-like so i think you're right uh and Is a weird point of pride. It's just, it isn't to win, it's to, it's sort of, uh, Hemingway wrote about it in The Bull, it's when the bull knows he can't get you. That's the point. It's when you've weathered him down smoothly and the bull knows that you're unattainable. You're just out of reach. That's the point of Tom there. He has beaten them all and they can't touch
0: him. And he, and they know they can't touch him or they're and, and there's almost a respect that he's defeated them in many ways. You know, he stabbed them in the front, but they didn't see it coming. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what's so neat about it. It's, you know, what the only uh, Coen brothers character I could compare him to actually is Anton Chigurh in that kind of, I've got to, I'm going to get this done. And, you know, my job, you know, Chigurh no, is just more chaotic. But they mm-hmm. have a very similar, you know, like they don't and, want to talk a lot. They don't want to let and, you know what you're and thinking.
1: Leo could have tried to muscle him back in, or any number of things at the end. But he just walks off because, at the end of the day, Leo knows that he can't do it. Like if he if he does apply pressure there, he could. I mean, he suppose he could just put a bullet in Tom's head, but he, he can't really even do that because what
0: would that look like? Because Tom saved him. It'd make him look weak again. And the thing about it is, he doesn't know where Verna stands either. Now, Verna is furious at him. You can see that look that at, at at him.
1: Well, yeah, she knows he got Bernie killed.
0: But She knows he killed him specifically. She can just tell. There's no way Bernie would get killed by Casper. You mm. know, she's figured out... She's the only other one who knows how Tom works. And that's probably, you know, their relationship. Like, it's a very Batman-Catwoman kind of comparison because it's like... you know, they both have a very specific way of handling things and they both can figure out what the other one's doing. And, you know, that he's the person she should be with, but neither of them want to really make that call. You know, Tom doesn't want to be with her for real. He's, but at the same time, no, no,
1: even if he did, he will never say it. And that's what she's always trying to go to him into doing.
0: Yeah. And once he kills Bernie, he knows that he's crossed that line, but he's also also what he wants. He wants to make sure that he never does go in that direction. Right. Because all along, this, the goal of this film always was <clears throat> is Bernie worth saving? No, he's not. Tom figured this out on, on the moment the movie starts. He's, been de- he's probably dealt with Bernie so many times already in the past. He's wanted him dead for a long time, but Bernie's protected by Leo. So he's got to, he essentially has to you know, create this domino effect to make sure Bernie gets killed. Okay. And in this particular way, everyone thinks Casper killed Bernie and they, that they shot each other simultaneously. Yep, that didn't happen, but uh, the point is, he everyone else thinks it, but and I can just look at him and say, "You, she knows he did it."
1: Yeah, there's no and, other way. And no, it's it, it, it's just nice, it, it, and I and I'm looking forward to another, another couple of viewings because I think I'll pick up on more of it. But uh, I don't. I also, weirdly enough, don't know that it needs it. I'm gonna let it set in for a minute. It's an odd position to take that i want one or two more runs with it but i don't want to do it too soon
0: exactly you want to soak it up you want to think about this movie more that's what i love about this film it's you know and most coen brothers movies it's about the experience as much as it is the uh the film itself you want to process it and you know this film is such about processing and, and like i said when you know, we were talking about like character influence. I, I was shocked you hadn't seen this film because there's so many like your old character, Stratford very much reminded me of, of Tom.
1: There is a, there's a, there's a definitely a through line there, but honestly I didn't, I didn't catch it at the time. Uh, I wasn't even real familiar with it. Um, uh, there are other influences that I could point out to, to my own work. there, uh, doing that, a character in LARP and in other genre. But, uh, anyway, uh, Thanks though, this has been well worth it. Uh, definitely good. I think that. I, I oh think yeah, we're, we're I'm, both there it's, for this one. Is
0: good. Yeah, I would almost call it a good, a nerdy one. But no, this is good. Like, there's other come by the movies that qualifies nerdy, and there's really only one bad one, and we'll be covering that one later. But uh, anyway, folks, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, you've been listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. That uh, we've been talking about. Miller's Crossing, a good film from the Coen Brothers. Uh, Probably, like I said, it's my number one, and you know, I've never wavered. When I saw this twenty plus years ago, I was like, "This is the best work they'll ever do." This should, if this this is this is the film that creates pretty much every the template from then on. There's a certain you know they get certain actors that they use over and over again, certain styles, certain ways Mm -hmm. of shooting. Everything is comes out of this film, and this is basically their. If you see this film, you will see the real Cone brothers at their masterpiece. And from that point on, everything else I do is interesting enough, kind of all in similar, you know, as we talked about Fargo, they all tend to involve some kind of weird con just like Fargo is a bumbled kidnapping. This is all about basically a, about just killing one person. Right. And when you we know, get to, yeah. But the only
1: thing I could do to improve this film is maybe Tom Hanks could play minx corpse.
0: <laughs> all right well folks if you enjoy this podcast please hit us up on our facebook group fans the good bad and nerdy movie podcast we've been getting a lot of new members lately so thank y'all for joining up also hit us up on twitter please make sure to uh write reviews on whatever podcast uh you know uh, platform you're using to listen to us you know we're getting a wide variety of uh, listeners uh, again you know, we're starting to finally pick up some canadian listeners but i to whoever's out there listening from bangladesh Welcome and thanks for listening. Yeah, th- this has been a uh, uh, oh, heck of a ride. Although I feel I'm disappointing the
1: audience who really want me to have a hotter hot take. So maybe we have to advance Lady Killers up so I can at least uh, hate Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, which, we'll, you know, we'll that's that. easy we'll for me Killers to do. Next.
0: That'll be our next maybe, next. maybe that's too easy, though. That's, that's like a that's like teeing me up, T ball style. Well, I was thinking we can do uh, either Oh Brother Thou next or we can do uh, Lady Killers, whichever you feel more g- gang for. I st- the problem is I still like it, but my hair. My hair. <laughs> Dan, we are in a tight spot. Yeah. So so we we'll, um let's let's do a brother next and we'll save uh, Lady Killers for a fourth because uh I think we need uh, and then we can uh, cut back around a couple of fast any other Cohen Brothers films. So